Welcome to God's Planning, Contemplative Preachers, Contemporary Age. Each week, join the Dominican Friars as they consider all things Catholic. Welcome back to God's Planning. I'm Father Gregory Pine, joined here by Father Jacob Bertrand. How are you doing, Father Jacob Bertrand? I'm well. How are you? Uh, I am doing well. Let's see. We, uh, we find ourselves here again in the fall semester. Both of us are at the Dominican House of Studies. I work for the Thomistic Institute. Father Jacob Bertrand is the Director of Vocations. Um, so the work often follows an academic schedule. Uh, for me, I've just been doing some campus visits here, there, and elsewhere, and we've had a, a couple of conferences in the fall. Um, any interesting retreats or anything that uh, you've led in the past uh, couple weeks? Yeah, well, this past weekend, having nothing to do with my office and vocation work, I was uh, I was chaplain on a Blessed Is She retreat for all the ladies who are tuning in. Um, check out Blessed Is She on their Instagram, social media, their website, their blog. Excellent uh, ministry for young Catholic women, building community in the Catholic Church for, for women, actually of all ages. But they, they just hosted their East Coast retreat in Annapolis, Maryland, and it was, it was really a privilege to be to be with them. So that was this past weekend, and looking ahead, we're kind of just plugging ahead with vocation work and getting the word out, and that's it for now. Yeah. Dude. Blessed is she, is there a particular emphasis, or is it just Catholic women in general? Catholic women in general, uh, I think I don't. I think that their their mission is to one lead ladies closer to our Lord, but also to build community in that in that effort uh, to connect women in various parts of the country. Because you know, um, wherever wherever we're living, there can be kind of sometimes a void of community, or you, you kind of especially going from school to work or work in a new city or something like that. It might be hard to plug in and find find that friendship um, within the church and that community. So. Uh, the women at Blessed Is She do a lot of good work to do that, and also a lot of good work through their through their web presence and social media. They have kind of daily reflections and, and that kind of thing. Really, really beautiful products and really beautiful work that these that these women do. So, um, ladies, check in. Dig. I know um, we so Dominicans will often have kind of unconventional priestly assignments. So mo- for the most part, priests are assigned to parishes, and weekends are your busiest time. And truth be told, you're kind of, you know, you're married to your parish. And so there's a sense that, um, you know, even if you can get away, you, you wouldn't so much get away on account of the fact that, yeah, that you're, you're, you're married to this particular uh, flock, as it were. And um, they just kind of expect you to be at home. But in, in, our, in our case, we kind of have a greater kind of like degree of liberty to be uh, available for these types of things, for these types of retreats. And I know in my own experience, it's really delightful to have the opportunity to help with them or preach them as it were. Um, so, you know, like Nashville Dominican Sisters or the Sisters of Life, a lot of these uh, women religious groups have retreats on the weekends that they'll uh, help, you know, they'll ask friars to help with or college campus things or parish missions uh, on account of the fact that we have more of a an academic, you know, focus or schedule. Uh, there is just the opportunity to do these things. And they often be, they often end up being just really delightful and refreshing and you're able to come back to your work uh, renewed, um, and having encountered another part of the church that you previously didn't know, but that is growing towards the Lord, um, and is seeking to, to know, love, and serve Him in its own peculiar and particular way. So for me, that's just, that's just been a really beautiful experience of the past, uh, however many years, you know, we've only been priests, I guess, for a couple of years, but yes, it's great. 
Yeah, at the end of the retreat last night, we ended, you know, around nine o'clock, whatever, some of the ladies were coming up just to say goodbye and, and chat for a few minutes. And, and one of them asked me if, if this was a, a crowd that I usually, that I'm used to preaching to or being with. And um, it, the, the weekend, the day and a half retreat was me and 350 women. That's it. Me <laughs> and 350, uh, 350 women. And, you know, I, I laughed. I said, no, <laughs> this is not my usual crowd. Usually it's young men who are interested in religious life, not not women. So, But the, but that in itself is so can be so refreshing, refreshing to have a, a different audience to preach to, a different way to look at the gospel, um, to bring that, to bring Christ to bear on that. So, yeah, it's it's a privilege that we're afforded in, in our line of work, as it were. Nice. So for this episode, we thought it'd be good, we thought it'd be fruitful to inquire into our experience of pilgrimage. So I know that a lot of people have had the opportunity to take a pilgrimage, whether here, uh, you know, in the United States or perhaps overseas, maybe to Europe or to a particular Marian shrine, whether Guadalupe or Nock or Lourdes or Fatima or something like that. And it's something that people really look forward to, that people really enjoy, and that often ends up being a really significant turning point in their life, not necessarily one of conversion, but perhaps of a deepened relationship with the Lord, and, and in some cases of conversion for sure. And it just seems, at least initially, kind of strange that just by kind of going somewhere for seven days or ten days or however many days, uh, and then just praying a lot until the point at which you're super exhausted and getting to know a handful of people with whom you travel and coming home would have such a profound effect. So it seems to merit our attention. What is it about a pilgrimage and, uh, and how can we cultivate that spirit or uh, dispose ourselves better to receive it in our own spiritual lives? So for you, Father Jacob Bertrand, uh, maybe just in the past few years or in your experience of living the Catholic faith, have there been signal moments or big pilgrimages that have had a big effect on you? Yeah, just this, this past summer, uh, the beginning of the summer, I guess in June, I was able to go to Lourdes for the first time. And that was really, I would say that that was only and really my my experience of pilgrimage in the sense of traveling afar, going to a, a, a site that people um, have for decades and decades have, have traveled to, to, to visit. Um, I've been to Rome before and that sort of thing, but that, that was to visit the city. I guess that can be a pilgrimage. But um, Lourdes has a sort of particular uh, pilgrimage kind of feel to it that you go there, you travel, and, and that was in, that was incredible. I was actually just talking to a friend about about my time there, and um, I, was, I was sort of giving a disclaimer at the beginning that I'm not a particularly pious person, and I realized that that sounds terrible as, <laughs> as a Catholic priest to say that, um, or just a Catholic anyhow. And I, I don't mean that I'm I, you know I'm impious, but I'm not usually moved in such a way that like uh, I don't know. Um, but Lords had had a pretty incredible effect on me. Just being there, witnessing the faith of the people, witnessing the um, just spending time where Our Lady appeared to Saint Bernadette, bathing in the waters of of the grotto. I mean, all of it is just really incredible. And I was I had the privilege of going with another Dominican and then a few friends um, from the D.C. area, and uh, to share that with them, um, that common sort of travel, but also that common time of prayer, um, that experience of being called. Uh, to to get to know Our Lady and Our Lord through her, um, yeah, it was pretty incredible, pretty yeah. incredible. And you you father have uh, a particular, I guess, at least growing up attachment to uh, to a pilgrimage site, anyhow, right? Yeah, yeah. So my my family went to Medjugorje when I was really little for the first time. So I'm one of f- uh, four kids, and in 1991 we all went. It was actually during the armed conflict war. 
Uh, I remember seeing armed guards at every corner and thinking, well, thinking my three-year-old thoughts like, oh, weird. Okay, moving on. How about ice cream? Um, And then we went back as a family in 1996. And then from that point on, my parents began to lead pilgrimages, sometimes once a year, sometimes twice a year, uh, to Medjugorje. And they'd lead, you know, friends, acquaintances, anyone who had the interest. Uh, You know, like in, in June, around the time when the alleged apparitions are said to have begun, or in October, just when things get a little bit cooler. And often, you know, like the, the message, uh, you know, associated with Medjugorje is pretty simple. It's, you know, that you should pray with the heart, that you should go to Mass, that you should go to confession once a month, that you should uh, read the scriptures, and that you should fast, specifically on bread and water on Wednesdays and Fridays, uh, the five stones that uh, Our Lady gives us against our Goliath. And just kind of implementing those things and then having an experience of a sacred place and meeting with holy people and praying with holy people, you just witness how it really, really changed um, a lot of folks. And, and a community kind of grew up around my parents and in our parish um, in, and just like a kind of like groundswell of devotion uh, and a recommitment to the parish itself and of um, just kind of investing in those relationships and in growing a Catholic community. So f- you know, like in my case or in my family's case, uh, pilgrimage was a huge part of our coming to the Lord and of loving the Lord. And I remember, you know, my, my father insisting on a daily rosary uh, for young parents out there. Daily rosary. It's huge. Uh, it's the only way to stay sane, as Sublime once sang. That seems impertinent, but here we go. Um, so my, my father, you know, would come back from a day of work and would suggest that we have a family rosary together, uh, inspired, you know, by the visits to Medjugorje in part. And we'd all kind of do so begrudgingly. And then my mother would open the floor for petitions. And then people would start talking for like 45 minutes. And I'd start rolling my eyes and be like super put out by the fact that I wasn't doing my homework. It's like, who cares? You know, like your homework wasn't that important. It's like you're in seventh grade. You don't have homework. Um, But that became for us uh, a huge way by which to grow to the Lord together, certainly. um, And to live out what we had experienced together on pilgrimage. So it was like we, we went on pilgrimage, but but to bring something home that informed our lives. It wasn't just a one-time offer. It was the kind of thing that paid dividends and actually shaped us. So maybe together we can just kind of uh, think about what it is about a pilgrimage that has this profound effect on people's lives. What is it that we find so beautiful? Uh, What is it that we find so life-changing? Maybe, yeah, just to kind of take your own experience and unpack it a little bit. What is it about a holy place? What is it about a shrine? What is it about these big churches? What is it about the experience of like kind of being underslept and underfed and over-traveled that you think proves so effective or efficacious? Well, if we try harder, (laughs) then Jesus loves us more. That's it. So if you have to go further, eat less, (laughs) sleep less, then you're going to be a saint. Then Jesus will love you more because the principle of merit is difficulty. Just That's kidding. Right. Everything we just said for the past <laughs> 25 seconds is false. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I think it, one, one, of the, one of the things that first jumps out in my mind when I think about pilgrimage and, and the draw to that, the human draw, and, and some, on some levels, for, in my mind, it's not something that's attractive. It's mm. like, like all for the reason that you just described, you know, you're, you're traveling, uh, whether far or not so far, but you're traveling, you're not home, you're, you're sort of perhaps in a different culture, food is strange, time is strange, bathing might be not as regular <laughs> as you'd like it to be, you know, all these things. But at the same time, there's, there's an attraction to it. And I think it parallels or it, it draws on the fact that we are, that we're pilgrim people, that we're, that we're made to be drawn, um, to the Lord 
And there are these particular places in the world that, uh, for whatever reason, you know, known to God and perhaps to us a bit, but known to God that he has decided, um, whether it's through Our Lady or, you know, through his son or, who, you know, however he decides to manifest and reveal himself, that there are particular places that are, that because of this are deemed holy. And, mm-hmm. and the soul is attracted to that. The person is attracted to that, even if it's from a sort of like, quizzical kind of like what's going on here type thing i know i i haven't been on the camino in spain um that the sort of long hiking pilgrimage to compostela in spain where the relics of saint james are where saint james was said to have gone um but a lot a number of people who i've spoken to who have been on the camino have said that the, most of the people they meet on the camino are not even catholic you know they're they're just sort of hiking the 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 the, the, the trail um, but I think that speaks to sort of our natural desire to be drawn to something bigger than our, bigger than ourselves. And ultimately, that desire is, is is aimed oriented towards to God. But there there are these you know our Lord uses the things of this world to draw us to that. So at least the travel part, at least the kind of foreign like going somewhere to see our Lord um, or to be near near Our Lady uh, who leads us to Him is it's kind of. I don't know. I guess you could kind of say it's kind of built in. It's ingrained in, in some way into the human desires. Yeah. I think like, so in my own experience, sometimes the temptation is to say, why would I go somewhere else when I can stay home and love Jesus? Because Jesus is present to me here on account of the fact that he has, you know, he's holding me in being and he's present by grace. Please God, I'm in a state of grace. Um, so why would I, why would I quit this 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 home which in which the the blessed sacrament is reserved and go elsewhere and i think that the point that you make about us being a pilgrim people i think that we have a kind of pilgrim nature so god could have made us at the end but instead he made us on the way and so part of what it means to be human is to proceed to our goal by many steps and that we are the type of people who like think through things we kind of take plotting advances from this to the, the from this thing to the next um, and we're in, in the whole like the in the during the whole process we're telling ourselves the story of our coming to the end uh, and kind of gradually getting a better sense for what that entails so when you stay home there's a kind of goodness to the stability of it and certainly it it helps you to uh, settle down and to pacify some of the emotions which would have you be a gypsy rover until the day you die. But also we have the sense that like we're made to be on the way. And when we pose for an end or we choose for an end someplace that's especially holy, it's just, it's more representative. It's more perfectly representative of the real shape of our lives. Like we are made to arrive at a place of perfect knowledge and love of the Lord. We're we're meant to arrive at a place of peace in his presence. And so to like actually image that in our bodies proves saving, salutary, uh, delightful, hopeful, encouraging, all the above, because we're actually, we're, we're doing what is actually the case. We're doing what actually obtains in the real order. Um, I want to return to this thought, but I think now might be a good time to take a quick break. So uh, grab a coffee, come back, and we'll see you shortly. This is God's Planning. Get up to date on all our latest episodes at opeast.org slash godsplaining. All right. Welcome back. Uh, we are here uh, on God's Planning, here, virtually, here in this place. <laughs> what place? I know not. The internet, a series of tubes and wires. Uh, so I'm Father Gregory Pine. This is Father Jacob Bertrand Janzik. I'm gesturing to my right, but you can't see that, so I don't know why I narrated the fact. And uh, we're talking here about pilgrimage. 
So when we ended, we were just describing, or when we uh, kind of cut off from the from the first half, we were just describing how pilgrimage seems to fit with the type of creature that we are. And when we go somewhere holy, it's reflective of the general shape of our life. And so it gives us a sense of fittingness. It gives us a sense of um, being on the way towards the very thing for which we're made. So I thought that we might just return to this point and think of pilgrimage uh, in terms of heaven. Uh, so a lot of churches in their imagery, they try to mirror uh, the shape of heaven. And then you get a sense with a lot of the pilgrimage uh, shrines or sites that we visit that it's a place where heaven is kind of broken through, has kind of touched earth in peculiar fashion, especially intense fashion. I don't know, maybe in your experience of Lourdes, what were things that you associate with, uh, with that particular place, things you associate with your time there that were maybe very heavenly or very uh, very blessed in that regard. Yeah, the, one of the first things that I was struck by or taken by when um, when I arrived in Lourdes, we, we traveled, a, a few friends traveled, as I said earlier, from Toulouse, France, where we where we spent a day, where one of the first sites of the Dominican order, St. Thomas Aquinas, his relics are actually in Toulouse, France. So we went from Toulouse to Lourdes and, and on the train and arriving there in the mountains, it was I was struck by the natural beauty. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't I wasn't not expecting that, but I just hadn't thought about what it would look like. Um, but just the, the the sort of the wonder and the awe of the natural beauty in this this basilica, which isn't it's not I mean it's big, but it's not the biggest church I've ever seen in my life. But it's sort of nestled into the mountains there, where where our lady um, where our lady appeared, and the the heavenly sort of draws I think first on that natural level mm-hmm. to see just the wonder of God. To see that beauty somewhere that's not like home, not like D.C. and, you know, like North Capitol and driving through traffic, but like the, <laughs> the beauty of the mountains and the beauty of, of of creation. But then also in the in the basilica there and um, the, the how, how the basilica is sort of built into the side of a hill. And it's just so grand and, and really li- you kind of feel I don't I don't mean this in a pejorative or a kind of condescending way, but it kind of feels like a Catholic Disneyland, you know, in some ways that it, it's just it's so um surreal and beautiful that it takes your mind from this the the sort of daily routine and especially at lords where there's people go to be healed um be be healed of their injuries and and their infirmities by being bathed or bathing in the water and you're sort of drawn from the the difficulties of that not that their sufferings don't matter but that there's there's hope in their sufferings and i think the whole sort of scene particularly that lords and i think fatima i've never been to fatima but from what i've heard it it's so different that fatima is sort of not it's kind of much more open and barren but um you know it has a beauty of its own but lords has this sort of mountainous mm-hmm. kind of french beauty to it yeah i think too something else uh that the beauty is of a distinctly liturgical type and that's not to say that well who knows what it's not to say i'm not even going to complete that sentence but I, I, the things that I was struck most by, both in Lourdes and in Fatima, were the evening processions. Yeah. So the torchlight procession in, uh, in Lourdes, like the rosary procession, where you kind of snake your way through that central plaza. And then I was in Fatima on October 13th, um, 2017, for the 100th anniversary of the day the sun danced. And there was this recitation, singing of the rosary in that central plaza. And everyone held their candles aloft uh, during the, the song that you sing at the end of each decade. And it was, I don't know, it's just, it's unlike anything that I've ever seen before. And I found it very moving, very striking, very beautiful. Uh, but it was a kind of rich, grace-soaked, liturgical beauty to it. So 
oftentimes you have it in a very beautiful setting. I once went to the shrine of Our Lady of La Salette, which is in the French Alps, and it looks like a kind of moonscape up there. There's just nothing up there except for the shrine itself. And then you get over the brow of this hill, and then you see the Alps themselves open up before you. So sometimes you are privileged in a place like that to be in a beautiful setting, but sometimes you're not, but that there is still a distinct beauty because of the graces accorded and the way that you would almost sense them in the liturgical shape of the life. And I think too, like, I don't know, maybe we want to talk a little bit about when you go on pilgrimage, usually you set other things aside. You know, unfortunately, sometimes work will uh, will track you down. But a lot of people will take the opportunity to unplug and to, uh, uh, yeah, just to like take a little bit of distance from ordinary things. And then they're able to enter into a life that is more religious in its character. Um, yeah, maybe just like I want to return to this thought of how it's how it's especially religious, how it's especially liturgical, how it's especially devout, and like what that does for the human heart. Yeah. There's there's a the, the tradition that accompanies pilgrimage is often that of penitence, especially in in sort of the I was going to say in the olden days. You know that sounds whatever, but you know there 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 had been a tradition in the church of assigning when there was grave sin committed that assigning a pilgrimage to some holy site that was far far away um, uh, as a penance in 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 the confessional. Uh, so I, I think here, um, no, I can't remember, you probably remember, Father, but the end of Kristen Lavin's daughter, when um, Kristen, she goes on this long pilgrimage um, to visit to visit that cathedral. I'm drawing a blank on all the specific details, but um, in, in reparation for her sins, you know. Uh, so there's there's this penitential nature that's accompanied by the beauty, and, and that can even be written into just the, the normal course of things on a pilgrimage, as we've already talked about, the travel, the, the sleep deprivation, the, the food, whatever, you know, or, you know, the company that you're with, you may love them very much, but traveling with a group of people has its own burdens, you know, all of these things. Uh, so I, th- that, that in itself, the idea and the, and the notion and the practice of penance is not simply to punish our bodies. It's not like some sort of, um, like exercise where you just come away feeling all sore the next day, but it's supposed to take our minds off of the, 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 the material and the worldly concerns uh, and, and focus us, really kind of hone in the spirit, hone in the soul on God and his workings in our life. And I think when we do that, when we're kind of put in a strange place, when we're kind of uh, tested a bit in our, in our penance, um, whether even that's, whether that be just circumstantial or even imposed on top that, that focuses the spirit such that we enter into, uh, our prayer life and especially the church's liturgy and the rhythm of the liturgy at these particular sites. And so often at all the, uh, at the Marian sites where, where people pilgrimage, our lady is asked for particular prayers. So Lord's often associated with the rosary, you know, like Mm -hmm. for example, um, so, that it almost has its own rhythm, and by kind of clearing away those things that are, are otherwise normal, not necessarily bad, but otherwise normal to our routine, helps us to dive in to, to what is there on offer. I think, too, like, there's a sense in which pilgrimage has a way of resensitizing us to spiritual goods. So what we often find is that we want to want spiritual goods, but sometimes we find it difficult to actually mm. motivate uh, an authentic or a sincere desire for them. So, because like when, when you think about it, like material goods are just so in, like infinitely, abundantly, and immediately delightful. Uh, you don't need convincing that a delicious meal tastes delicious. It's something that just breaks upon you and absorbs you. Um, 
but the thing with like material delights is that they can tend to decline. They can tend to um, kind of they're, they're, the delight associated with them can dissipate over time. You know, like I mean, to take a kind of rough, ready, crass example, you know, people who use drugs initially find them very delightful, and then the uh, the euphoria associated with them tends to decline, and they need more to get to the place where they once were. Blah blah blah. So our our interaction or our relationship with material goods can kind of be this way. We find that they have initial a, a, like a high degree of payoff or a great good payoff, but then they they cease to, I don't know, captivate us in the way that they once did. Whereas with spiritual goods, by contrast, initially we find them very difficult. Like for anyone who's actually tried to impose a certain order on their prayer life, the first few days, the first few weeks can be terrible. I mean, I just think of my experience in the novitiate. I have never been so tired. It was exhausting. And then by comparison to things that I was doing previously, I was I was doing much less in the way of activity, but I was actually just trying to be disciplined in an approach to things spiritual. And it was taxing, super taxing. So in a pilgrimage, as a lot of, um, you know, like the kind of material goods are set aside or otherwise, you know, kind of bracketed, circumscribed, you, you reacquire or your appetite for spiritual goods is made more intense, it's deepened. Um, and it also, I think it gives you a lot of hope that heaven is a place where you can potentially enjoy the Lord. Because I think when a lot of people think about heaven and they hear it described as a kind of perpetual liturgy, they're like, that sounds awful, you know? My association with liturgy is like, you know, the music's kind of bad, the homilies are too long, the parking lots are crammed, and I just want to get back to my normal Sunday afternoon so I can watch football and veg out. So so liturgy to us, sometimes it, it has negative associations. But in a pilgrimage setting, we come to discover that the liturgical shape of a Christian life can be something delightful, and that prayer is something that when we are exposed to it in a way that is beautiful, devout, absorbing, can actually be really, really awesome. Um, so yeah, it has a way of resensitizing us to spiritual goods, but on the way towards heaven. Now, with respect to the point you made about penitence, uh, I also think too that the pilgrimage is great about instilling you know, other virtues. And maybe we could just spend a little bit more time on the virtues that you grow, you know, the virtues that are grown in you by God's grace during a pilgrimage. So we mentioned penitence. We talked a little bit about the virtue of religion. Are there any other things that come immediately to mind? I'm thinking too of like patience, for instance. But what about, what, what does pilgrimage do for your growth in the life of virtue? Yeah, I think, it, well, we've kind of touched on it a bit, but perhaps hit on the virtue of, the virtue of worship. Yeah. Um, I think is, is an important one, probably one that we don't think of a ton uh, in, in our life uh, as, as Catholics of, of rendering right worship as a matter of justice, mm-hmm. uh, as, as a virtue under justice, but worshiping God. And um, w- when we think about the way in which we're made and what that for which we are made or for whom we are made, um, we have to think about the way in which our Lord has given himself to us and, and what our response is in return. Um, our Lord has given himself completely to us and, and it's such as love that we're asked to return um, nothing but ourselves, but in complete abandonment. And and that's most especially done for the baptized in the act of worship and worshiping God. And it's, it's as, as Father Gregory was sort of describing, and when we were talking about just a minute ago about sort of how penance enhances that, we were able to, in these moments, sort of reorient or, or hopefully rekindle that desire, first that recognition of, of God's goodness to us. Mm-hmm. That despite the travel, despite the, you know, the the hunger, the tiredness, whatever it may be, that that these moments are privileged times, these pilgrimage moments are privileged times to again recall the way in which God has has dealt with us mercifully. 
um, but also render him that worship by offering him sort of the sufferings, offering him that our, our journey to the site, to wherever we're going on pilgrimage, offering that up, but in the, in the greatest act of worship, of recognizing mm. that he is God and he is good and he loves me and, you know, the, the begging him the grace to love him more truly, more dearly. But that act of worship, and then in the, in the strict sense of worship within the church's liturgies, as we've already talked about at these various places. Yeah. No, that's, I mean, that's a great way to kind of organize our, our emotions on the matter because a lot of times we feel like we need to have some sensible experience of our love for God and if we don't feel it then it's somehow less sincere or genuine or even real but here situating the conversation in terms of worship in terms of the virtue of religion what is most important what is paramount is that we give God worship on account of the fact that he's our creator and end in the order of nature he is our you know, redeemer and sanctifier in the order of grace. And this is just something that we do well to recognize. We do well to image in our lives, uh, that we do well you know, just to actually have reflected in the concrete particulars of what it means for us to be alive. And I think maybe just as a final point, I suspect that, that folks were intrigued by what you said about not being especially pious, because many people, I suspect, have the association that in order to be a good Catholic, you need to feel uh, pious feelings or think pious thoughts about the Lord, uh, and that can sometimes confuse us when we don't think or don't feel them. So what does it mean then to be pious in a more rooted sense or in a more profound sense, a more true sense, and, and how can that help us sort out our emotions on the matter? Yeah, for those of you listening, I don't mean being not pious as a sort of impious kind of um, like disrespectful or... Um, lack of charity. I mean, I'm sure I lack charity, of course, but, you know, in, in that kind of sense where it's just disrespecting our Lord or those things that pertain to our Lord or, or that sort of thing. But what, what I mean by that, and as I self-describe, is a sort of a, a man who is um, not easily moved by affect in the spiritual life. Um, I Of course, I enjoy the consolations that our Lord affords at times, but um, not, you know, not I guess I guess if I'm if I'm moved to fall into a pit of um, of like a dangerous thing in the spiritual life, it's less over um, affect affectizing. That's not a word. Being um, more emotional and being tending towards the other side of just going through the motions, you know. Mm -hmm. And so when I was talking when when I mentioned lords and and I think I was sort of drawn from that and into this sort of um, the beauty of it and kind of reawoken and i think that in our in our in our life with christ in our spiritual life we can't um we, we can't depend on the affective response that we have uh to everything in in the moment because our because our emotions come and go um and and we can't liken that we can't equate that to a life of piety that um there's sort of these these nice sort of feelings so therefore i can sit and fold my hands and and kind of be um, kind of starry-eyed and look up at the crucifix and and that sort of thing. You know what? That that's not that's not the goal of the Christian life. The goal of the Christian life is for us to be made perfect, mm. and that perfection comes from our perseverance, from our begging the grace to stay with the Lord and allowing Him to work on us. And that's the end of piety. It's it's not a sort of affective feeling, but a devotion to the Lord and a, a devotion to remaining with with our Lord, to remaining at His feet. And I think these pilgrimage um, experiences, these pilgrimage sites 
remind us of that because they draw us from the mundane and the routine and and they put us in a in a in a special place that's just for a moment it's sort of like a spiritual energizer and i think that's what they're they're meant to be whether we go for penitential reasons whether we go because a group of people are going that we're friends with whether we go because we've always wanted to see the site they're they're kind of like that spiritual caffeine boost to not not to over not to make things over affectionate but to to refocus us on on our, our Lord and his gospel. Yeah, and I think maybe just to close out with that thought of devotion. So when St. Thomas Aquinas describes devotion, it's it's the interior part of the virtue of religion which kind of motivates our will to be prompt, to give itself to the Lord. And we, we use a lot in the 20th century this language, or 20th and 21st century, this language of self-gift. So man finds himself uh, in making a, a sincere or a, a gift of himself. So there's a sense in which we are good Christians to the extent that God's grace at work in us helps us to render back the whole of our lives. And, and one's emotions may or may not come along for the ride. Uh, you may feel kind of unenthused about the whole thing, or you might have many sensible consolations. But what is of you know, greatest importance is that you show up and that the Lord who shows up for you, motivating you by his grace, by his gift, uh, the desire to show up in turn. And uh, I think... One of the things is about pilgrimages that's so efficacious is that it's just a kind of grand display or a grand gesture of showing up. It's, it's really just about showing up for the Lord in a magnanimous fashion. So with that, uh, with the recognition that maybe uh, big or distant pilgrimages may not lie easily in, uh, in your sights or maybe entirely doable at this juncture, it might be a good opportunity to make a visit to the Blessed Sacrament in a kind of spirit of pilgrimage, uh, perhaps to work that into your workday or to make a, a kind of additional visit, perhaps to an, uh, an especially beautiful church in your area uh, next weekend or something along those lines, so so that the Lord can can work these things in you and kindle in you a desire for him in a new and deep in faith. So with that, we'll take our leave. Thanks so much for listening. Um, if you found this helpful, uh, even if you didn't, you know what, just regardless, uh, share it with your friends, share it with your family, give it to those whom you think might profit from it. Uh, so thanks for listening in, and uh, we'll see you next time on God's Planning. Cheers. Thanks for listening to God's Planning, a work of the Dominican Friars of the province of St. Joseph. Visit us at opeast.org.